Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the story of Esther. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and it is my honor to serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, Esther, who is she? She is a cool character person figure from the Hebrew scripture. So that's the Old Testament. Old Testament lady. Old Testament. And she has a book named All to Herself. Ooh. Yeah. I'm guessing it's fairly rare. Off the top of my head, I can think of two. Ooh. Esther and Ruth. 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 Good old Ruth. We'll have to do that one another day. All right. Okay, so she shows up in the Old Testament. She has her own book. Who is she? She is a woman of the Jewish faith who lived during Babylonian captivity, which basically means that the Jewish people had been raided and taken over by the kingdom of Babylon. Oh, that's fun. Right? And a whole lot of different stuff happens during Babylonian captivity. That's kind of a term that gets tossed about in biblical studies. And In that kind of uh, remembering who we are and telling our stories and trying to hold on to our own identity as a group. Sure. Several stories come through, and Esther is one of those stories. So she was a young woman whose parents were killed, and she was being raised by her uncle, Mordecai. Okay. Okay. And so the king of Persia is having this huge, big, giant party for, like, weeks. And he finally is, like, wants to show off how beautiful his wife is. So he's like, hey, wife, make me a sandwich. You can come bring it to me in front of all my guests. And they're drunk, and it's awful, and his wife refuses. And so he has her killed. Oh, lovely. Hmm, right? So then... He needs to replace his wife, who grew a backbone and was killed for it. And so he has a national beauty pageant. Oh, even more lovely. Isn't this great? It just keeps getting better. (laughs) Better and better. So Esther, as one of the women of the age range that he has asked for to be part of this beauty pageant in his kingdom, all the eligible women of this age range, Esther comes along and she wins the beauty pageant. Oh, and she gets a to, dubious honor, I'm sure. Right. And so she gets to marry this king. Oh, yay. All right. So she marries the king. And in the meantime, Mordecai, her uncle, is someone who works close to the palace, that sort of thing. And he hears about this attempt on the king's life where there are these people who are going to try and come and kill the king. Okay. And so Mordecai finds a way to tell the king that he's going to be assassinated, saves the king's life. It's great news, fabulous honor. Yay, all this stuff gets written down in the day's events and celebrations kind of a thing. Meanwhile, one of the king's main advisors is named Haman. And at this point, everyone in the room should go, Uh Uh-oh, he's the villain. He's the villain of the story. So Haman just hates the Jewish people. Just Just because. Racist, right? Just hates them. And so Haman is trying to get rid of these Jewish people and wants to solidify his own power base and those kinds of things. And so he tells the king that these people are plotting against him and that he should slaughter all of them and kill all the Jewish people. And so the king decrees it. 
that all the people of Jewish descent in the kingdom are going to be killed. So you know, Haman is thrilled by this, and Mordecai hears about this situation, and he goes to his niece, Esther, who uh-huh. happens to be the, the queen. queen. All right, so... Now, there's a decree in the land that you cannot go in to see the king unless you have invited or else he'll kill you. Okay. Okay. And so Mordecai comes into Esther and says, we're all going to be killed. The king has decreed it. This is the date that's been set for it. And you need to do something. And she's like, well, what can I do? I'm just, I'm just this girl. I I'm have a trophy no, wife. I'm a trophy wife. I'll die if I go in un, uninvited. What am I supposed to do? And his line that you might actually have heard is, perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Huh. And so Esther spends the night fasting and praying, trying to figure out what to do in this situation. And the next day she gets up and she goes to the king uninvited. Uh Uh-huh. It sounds like a bad idea. Right? So she goes into the audience. She goes in uninvited. And to her surprise, he says, you are always welcome to come and see me. Huh. My beautiful wife. And she sees Haman there, who's responsible for, like, the oncoming slaughter of her entire people. And she gets nervous and tongue-tied. And so she invites Haman and the king over for dinner. I'll throw you a party. Okay, sure, you can do that. So the next day she throws them a dinner and has them over and they have a nice evening. And then that night as the king is trying to fall asleep, he can't fall asleep. And so he has the court recorder read him stories of what's happened in his court to help him fall asleep. And he hears the story of when Mordecai saved his life. And he asks the recorder, have we done anything to thank this person for doing this because Did we the recorder say, yeah, we're going to kill all his people. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. Right. Instead he's like, no, no. And so the King's like, okay, I should fix that. So the next morning he wakes up and calls in Haman, his chief of staff kind of guy. Right. And says, Hey, what would you do if you really wanted to celebrate someone who did awesome work? What should we do? And Haman's like, Oh, he's well. talking about me. <laughs> he thinks he's talking about him. Uh-huh. It's like, I think you should throw him a parade. Oh, yeah. And you should put him on one of your own horses. That's a great idea. And you should put one of your own robes over top of him. That's a fantastic idea. Let's do all that. Go get Mordecai (laughs) and lead the parade. Oh, nice. And so Haman has to go and get Mordecai, this person that he loathes, and lead him in this parade that he designed for himself. Haman is furious. Okay, so Esther goes back again to try to talk to the king, trying to gather up her courage to explain to him that this decree is going to kill her people. And so she goes, she gets nervous again, she invites them for dinner. They show up at dinner, and it's the king and Esther and Haman, and she tells the king my Lord, I have to tell you that someone has caused the call for the death of all of my people, including this amazing servant Mordecai that you just threw the parade for and who saved your life. And the king said, well, who would do that? Why would anyone want to kill your people? 
and she points to Haman, like, it's his fault. And the king, is it really your fault? Ah, how dare you? And the other piece that I've forgotten to mention in this is that meanwhile, Haman has been building, like, these gallows to hang Mordecai. Sure, you got to be ready for this. Right, you got to be ready for all this. And so the king, finding out that it's this person who is now plotting to kill his trusted servant Mordecai, who saved his life, and his beautiful wife named Esther, sentences Haman to die on those gallows. Nice. Right, in this fabulous little turnaround. Mm -hmm. But the story doesn't end there. We have all this stuff, you know, this beautiful young woman who has stood up for her people and who has advocated and the way that the clearly evil person has had all this flip around and those kinds of pieces. But the story continues on that because the king has decreed that the Jewish people must be killed, he cannot take back a decree. He can't undo his own decree. Well, that seems silly, but okay. Right? Once he's stated it, it's the rule of the land. And so he offers an additional decree encouraging the Jewish people to defend themselves. Okay. And so the day comes, and they had cast lots. They had rolled the die to find out what day this was going to happen on. And so that date comes, and the Jewish people rise up, and they just slaughter everyone who was going to kill them. Hmm. And then there's a big festival because the Jewish people weren't killed and they got to kill all their enemies. Ta-da! Ouch. I'm not so... Right? It's not great. It's not a great ending. No. It's not a great ending. And that's where Esther's story gets kind of difficult. And still becomes a substantial holiday in the Jewish faith. Okay. And it's called Purim. And the Hebrew word is for casting lots because they cast the lots to find the day that the Jewish people were to die. And so it's a huge festival, happens in the springtime, and there's a lot of food involved because, again, Esther was feeding the king mm -hmm. and there were feasts involved and there are acts of kindness and generosity and recognition of the salvation of the people. And there are Hamantaschen, which are the cookies shaped like Haman's hat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And opportunities to kind of be silly and have fun and tell the big story. That's Esther's story. She was, you know, this young woman who used the power that she had and her capacities to leverage her position to make a better situation for her people. She was also someone who advocated for and participated in mass violence. Mm -hmm. And it's the Old Testament. They seem to go hand in hand. Well, I mean... I think that we have to be careful with that because we don't want to say that the Jewish faith is a violent faith mm -mm. because that perpetuates anti-Semitism and it perpetuates that history of violence that have happened against Jewish people. I think that there's a lot of times when those of us who are find ourselves humans find themselves in positions of having less than or being conquered or being overseen by a larger colonial style government return violence with violence. I think that that's not just something that happened in the Jewish history. I think that happens in time and time again, time and time and time again, and that that's a human reaction. I think that's why the cross is such an astronomical different thing 
because Jesus doesn't respond to violence with violence. That's why it's so strange. And even, you know, in our own story, there's plenty of times when Christians have returned violence with violence. Mm -hmm. I can hear Esther's story and find strength and inspiration from some of it, as well as caution. And be careful that in becoming the victor, you don't become the oppressor as well. Mm-hmm. Right? That's always the danger. I think of, for those who have read them, right, I think of the Hunger Games cycle uh-huh. and how that is kind of the power of the third book. If you can get all the way through all the violence of the books, then you get to this point where the oppressed become the oppressor. And how do you not do that? How do you stop yourself from engaging in the retaliatory violence that it seems to be as part of human nature. Okay, so this story is interesting given our current climate, and mm-hmm. you've related it to the Hunger Games. Where else can you find it in popular culture? I think the story itself is so strong that it does beg to be represented. But it's a tough <laughs> one to pull off. If you stop at the point where, like, Haman gets his... And you don't continue all the way through to the end of the story. Do people tend to do that? Yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's like the people who leave halfway through into the woods, and they think everything... Exactly. Everything turns out great at the end of Act 1. Act 1 is fantastic. Yep. (laughs) Right? And for children's matinees, great place to stop. Really is. But you're not learning your lesson completely that way. Right. You're not getting Act 2, which is where the meat of the show is. So... I think that the story is actually pretty well told in the Veggie Tale version. Of course. The story of Esther was pre-Jonah when then okay. they lost creative control. And so it's a fairly well told version. Like they really get the moments in there with the storytelling of how Mordecai saves the king and then the king hearing the lesson back and mm-hmm. Haman really thinking he's all that in a bag of chips. They do a great job of playing with the flip and the reversals and those kinds of pieces. And they do a good job of giving Esther that kind of nervousness that you would think that a young, beautiful woman might have had in that situation. Okay. So VeggieTales does a great job of it. For a less child-friendly version, sure, but still a great educational version, there's a group called The Bible Project. And they're animating the scripture, and they're reading the Bible portions on YouTube and those kinds of things. Okay. Really great project. Highly recommend. Everett Patterson is a local artist here in the Portland area who's working on it. Some folks may have seen his Jose y Maria cartoon of the nativity where it looks like Joseph and Maria kind of sitting outside of a gas station. Okay. It has become fairly popular. So he's working on the Bible project, and they did... A short, less than 10-minute video, kind of looking at the overall structure of the book and its import and just what it teaches. So that's another way to kind of look at it in a little bit more of an academic way, a less story-based way. Okay. It really does kind of seem like a Shakespeare. Right? With its back and forth and the reversals. and Oh, yeah. It's a great story. You know, it reads like a soap opera. It does. It really does. It's a ton of fun to read it that way. And I think that's part of where it gets its popularity is that it has such a strong storyline to it. 
and we can find ourselves in the story so easily. One piece that's really fascinating about it is that never in the entire book is God explicitly mentioned. No, other than she's praying. Other than she's praying, which is her action. God isn't talking. So it's not like the Ten Commandments where God's actually handing down things. Exactly. No, it's more that God is in the background. Okay. And that's a really wonderful piece to take out of this, because I think a lot of people in modern culture don't want to talk about God being explicitly present or don't feel God's explicit presence. I think you hit it with the second one. We just don't feel it. Sure. And so to take a book like this and to say that Mordecai telling Esther, perhaps you have been made queen for such a time as this, there's that invitation to see God in or, or godly intention in your life, even if you can't feel God explicitly, to say, okay, well, maybe I have been called to this place or this time, or maybe I've been given this gift to do something just because I can make this change in the world right now. And not that God is making you do something Mm -hmm. or that you hear God's voice in your heart to tell you to do something, but an understanding that God's presence is all around us and that We can experience God without explicitly knowing it's God. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but I appreciate that recognition that Esther does all of this. And I can see God so soaked through this story in trying to save God's people and being present among God's people and sending people into specific places and times with the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge to make a difference in the world. And we don't even have to say that it's God. We just know that God is there in it. For me, I appreciate her being portrayed, at least in the VeggieTales version, as nervous. Because I think that's how most of us tend to go through life. Nobody really, if you're honest, feels that, I got this. I'm confident. I can totally do this. I can totally save people. I can save the world. I know exactly what to say and do in every situation. Right. Not all of us are Diana Prince. No. Right. (laughs) We're we're not all going to be able to just be Wonder Woman or be Superman or always have it under control. More of us are much more along the lines of, I'm going to do this big scary thing. Okay, I'm not dead. I should tell him what's going on. Will you have dinner with me? Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, that's so much more relatable than like, striding confidently into the king's chamber where you could be killed just for walking in and saying, Haman is going to kill my people and you shouldn't let him do it. Right. I don't know if I could have believed the story. Yeah. If it was that simple or that easy. Well, and honestly, the other reason we're talking Esther is Purim has just ended. Correct. And she's currently beating the pants off of Michael the Archangel on Let Madness. <laughs> That's right. She is up in our Let Madness bracket. And today, while we're recording, she's got a strong lead over Michael. It's going to take a miracle for the angel to come back. It is. She's She won the first yeah. round, and now she's beaten Michael in the second. So yeah. she's got a shot at that golden halo. She does indeed. We'll see who she comes up against. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, then last question. How does she stack up against the other ladies that you like in the Bible? You're Julian of the Norwich, you're Mary Magdalene. She's not on my wall. No, she's not. But she is in book form in your office. She is. I have a beautiful children's book of Esther, and I do have the VeggieTales video in my office. And I do appreciate her story. 
I think I struggle with the ending still. Yeah, the ending was not ever mentioned necessarily mm. in the Lenten Madness Mm-mm. rundown. Mm-mm. I think that's conveniently left off in a lot of places. Yeah. I do appreciate that she's a multivalent character and that she's not all perfect all the time. Like that does have some appeal to me. And maybe in that kind of both and sort of way, I can appreciate her having both the courage to do these things and see her humanity in the way in which she sought vengeance and supported the slaughter of other people. And I don't have her on my wall next to Julian and Mary. I don't love that she participated in that mass violent act at the end of the story. I'm not surprised that I didn't really know her story having grown up Catholic because that they're not known for lifting up any women necessarily (laughs) in the Bible that way. (laughs) But uh, it's, it's a fascinating story and I'm glad to know it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Esther's story. I look forward to sitting down with you another day on another topic. As do I. And I hope that you are all having a lovely spring and that perhaps you can take a moment to let us know how you're doing. You can reach out to us by Facebook or by sending us an email at podcast at centralportland.org. You can always leave us a review on iTunes. And until we are back in your ear again, remember, God loves you no matter what.